Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. It's the last Wednesday in September. We have made it to the end of another month. Tomorrow's October 1st. And the reason I'm so excited for tomorrow being October 1st is because October 1st of 2020 has been a date on my calendar for a very long time. My friends, tomorrow, October 1st, my newest book, UBU, Why Satisfaction and Success Are Closer Than You Think, launches into the world, and I am equal parts over the moon excited and a little bit nervous as well. Today's whole show is dedicated to talking about the themes from this book, and it's a special show because my husband, Aaron Ivey, is here to host the happy hour today. He has been a guest on the show over the past six years, a handful of times. You guys love it when he's here. I love it when he's here. And today, he's in charge. He's running the whole thing. He asked me, what does the title mean? Talk to me about the title. A lot of you have asked, and I'm telling you about it today. We're talking about success. Success is a scary word for some people. I don't think it should be scary, and I think it's closer than we think. We also talk about the highest calling of a woman. I've got some hot opinions on that. I hope you hear those. Idolatry of the family unit in the church is something Aaron and I are talking about a lot these days. And then, you guys, I did it. I talked a little bit about how it feels to talk about current events, hot topics, the things that are happening in our culture, online and social media, throwing my opinions out into the world is one I do not take lightly. Friends, tonight we have something super special. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, September 30th, you still have an opportunity to join me tonight for our UBU live virtual event. Yes, you can join us tonight and you can only join us if you have pre-ordered a copy of UBU. Now listen, friends, if you're going to get it tomorrow when it comes out, why not get it today? It's one day early. No difference is made. After you pre-order your event, go to jamieivy.com slash UBU. And there's a button there that says claim your goodies. Friends, click on that button, fill out the very, very short form, and you're going to get an email that's going to include a lot of fun things, plus an invite with a link to our virtual event tonight. I am so excited. I've got some fun guests lined up for it. My friend Jessica Honiger is coming. Julissa McCreary is going to be there. Our special host, Aaron Ivey, is going to be there. I have a great conversation with a couple that I adore, Sam and Tony Collier. Y'all, it's going to be fun, and there is still time to join if you're listening in real time today on September 30th. Visit jamieivy.com slash UBU or text UBU, all one word, no spaces, to 33777. In fact, if you're listening to this after September 30th, go ahead and text. That's how we'll let you know about the book. Text UBU to 33777. Friends, I hope I see a lot of your faces tonight. Thank you for this fun happy hour that we had today and enjoy my conversation with the host of the happy hour today, my man, Aaron Ivey. 
I cannot tell you how excited I am to be able to host the happy hour with Jamie Ivy for this episode. How does it feel to have the tables flip a little bit and have me asking all the questions, Jamie? Well, I didn't know I invited you to host because that feels weird, but I'm glad you're hosting today. Wait, you didn't invite me to well, host? I what? invited you to interview me, but it didn't click in my head that that meant today you're in charge. No, I am in charge. I have microphone A, you have microphone <laughs> B. I am sitting in your office. In my chair where I normally and, interview. And it feels very powerful. Is this what you feel like every day? Yeah. Did you know I put you in the chair where I normally sit? Why? Well, because you are interviewing me. Hosting. Uh-huh. Hosting the, host. the show today. Yeah. And I wanted it to be legit. It is legit. And honestly, I've, I've been really excited about this. I've read your book. And I've got questions for you. I've got questions that people have sent in via Instagram. And we just love doing this together. It's so fun. It's so fun. And it's crazy because some of the listeners, if you've been around here for a while, know that in the beginning, every once in a while, you would come on and we would do a show together and people loved it. It has been a while, though. I've noticed that it's been a while since I've been asked to come and host (laughs) again. I didn't know if I did something wrong or... You got some bad reviews. No, you're good, but I do have a lot of men on the show now. So you're no longer the only man. 2020, it feels like you flipped. Like this was a, you know, a podcast that was just, you know, primarily for women and only interviewing women. And then I was like the unicorn, the one, you know, guy that you had on your show. Now I'm just one of many guys that you interview. Well, actually, you've never even interviewed me. Oh, I've never even (gasps) interviewed you. I've never been a guest on the happy hour with Jamie Ivey. I have asked you questions. I remember the first time you were on, we sat up in the house that we're in now, upstairs in the game room with old Mike that I used to have. And we talked about moving into our new house and what that feels like. Right, but you weren't interviewing me. No, it's true. I've just never been a guest. You'll be a guest soon. Okay. I'll I'll cross my fingers. I'll hold out. Wait for that one. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to ask you all the deepest, darkest things about your life. I'd love for you to tell me all of your saddest stories. You know them all. I want you to make me cry. No way. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you know what? Just to flip the script just a little bit. Nope, tomorrow nope, my book comes out. you can't out. do that. Wait, time out. Tomorrow my book comes out, October 1st. Super exciting. But you release something in September as well, which is super fun. This is a year of releasing things, yeah. isn't it? Uh-huh. Yes. My team and I released two albums in the same week, a new worship project called Within. Austin Stone Worship has been working on this for about two years. I mean, like, I was a part of writing the songs. And those songs were written two years ago. That's, That's how crazy. long it takes to release an album. So we released Within. And then in the same week, we released the Spanish version of that, which is stunning. It's so beautiful. And you worked on that Spanish version during quarantine, which is funny. Yeah, that remember quarantine hit and I'm an Enneagram 3. So I'm like, I'm going to learn Spanish. I'm going to record an album. I'm going to write an album. I'm going to take over everything. I'm going to, you know, like that's an Enneagram 3 thing. Oh, I know. I've got to achieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, "Eh, maybe pick one or two (laughs) of those 10 things. But that is one of those, one of the goals that I had during quarantine. And we did it. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Love the album. Thanks for cheering it on. Yeah. I sang background vocals in Spanish too. I know. It's so cool. It was really, really fun. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the fact that you have a book that is releasing tomorrow. And I'm so thrilled about this book. I'm holding it in my hand. The cover is beautiful. You look stunning on it. And I've read Thanks, it babe. and it's it's a really fantastic book. Thank you. I feel like your first one was incredible. And this one is like even a step further in storytelling and how creative it is and 
the message that you're trying to to get across. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Yeah. Okay, so I think the first question that comes to mind when I think about like, what do I want to know, you know, about the writing process and the message that you have is this, and you talk about it in the first couple of chapters, the title is UBU. Mm-hmm. And we live in a culture right now where the common message is, hey, whoever you want to be, just aim for that and right. do it. Yeah. Pull your boots up by your bootstrap. Pull, Pull yourself, yourself up, up by, by your, your bootstraps. Yep. Just be the best version of you yeah. or just claim your identity and just go for yep. it. And the title kind of feels like that, uh-huh. right? I yeah. remember us talking about it when you're picking the title. But then as soon as you jump in, first couple of chapters, you really kind of redefine that. And you even mentioned here in chapter one, you probably heard and seen these things pop up in your Pinterest feed, the things people put out there to motivate, inspire us, things like, girl, you got this, you're enough, hustle more, get things done. There it is, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And you said, all these are good ideas. They're super motivating, but they're lacking. They're shallow and unsustainable. Why did you write with that in mind? I think that's actually what started this whole book project for me was looking around and seeing so many women, and especially I'll speak to Christian women because that's who I mostly speak to, especially Christian women, finding their hope, their anchor, their steady, their rock, their security in themselves and in their ability to do great big things. Mm -hmm. And so this project was birthed out of me walking through this myself and having to deal with okay, I do want to be amazing and I do want to be successful. Like I talk about that in here, that success is not the problem. I want success. Right. I mean, that's the tagline is why satisfaction and success are closer than you think. I want those things, but I believe that I myself was, and a lot of women are looking for those in the wrong way. And they're looking for it in how can I make myself amazing? Mm Mm-hmm. And I just really think that any amazing thing that comes out of us as followers of Jesus is because of him. It's Mm. because he puts it in us. It's because he creates things in us. It's because he puts desires in us. And so because of that, I saw a lot of women believing that they weren't enough because they didn't look like her. Mm. Like comparing. Oh my gosh, comparing. Like she does amazing things. If I could just be more like her. If I could do what she does. God would use me. God would love me. I would be something. I would matter. And I want this entire project for someone to get to the end of this book and say, man, I actually... I think God put gifts, talents, resources, voice, influence inside of me to use right where I am. I don't have to go be somebody else to be used by God. And again, it doesn't negate the striving and I'm a goal setter and I make lists every day and I want to work hard hard and do things. But my mind honestly has shifted from working hard to be more like her to working hard to be the best person that God has created me to be Hmm. right where I am. Hmm. You tell the story, and you've, we've talked about it on a podcast before, but you actually go into detail in this book, telling the story about winning the contest uh-huh, the radio. for being a DJ yeah. here in Austin. It feels like when you read the book, and because I walked through that with you, uh-huh. it feels like that was a big shift for you. Oh, yeah. I feel like that was like maybe a defining moment of you living out this whole UBU thing. Yeah. Why did that seem to kind of change the direction of your life. I don't mean like job wise, but what did it do internally in you? What did God do in you through that season? Yeah. I mean, short version, if you've never heard the story and again, it's in the book, I entered a contest here in Austin where we live to the contest was for them to choose the next morning show host of a country radio station. That host would join an existing fabulous team and I won. And so I went from stay at home mom on a Friday to 
morning show host with some great guys on a Monday. Like literally the same week. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it was crazy. I look back and I very confidently say that changed my whole career. I see that. It changed the whole way my Mm -hmm. career was going with my life. But what that did for me was I did that job for four months and then ended up choosing to quit because I needed to come back home with our kids. Some of them had just been home. In, from adoption, they just joined our family within the past year, and life got a little crazy, and it felt hard. Yeah, and I needed to come home, so I made a really difficult decision to come home. But I learned something while I was there: is that I thought that the radio station gave me a voice, mm. and I don't mean a physical voice because I had a microphone in front of me. I just mean like I'll use the words with air quotes, like a platform or people listening to me, influence, influence, like all those things. So I thought I gained that when I got that job. So when I chose to quit, I went through a really big crisis of identity. Like you were there. Mm-hmm. I grieved what I thought I had gained. In a practical sense, were a lot more people listening to me? 100%. I had never spoken into a microphone before that job. Right. It didn't look like I was doing what I do now. But I learned something through that whole process is that I didn't gain a voice by getting that job. I just discovered how to use mine in a different way. Hmm. And so... I tell that story because I don't want women to think they have to have more Instagram followers, write a book, yep, have a podcast, yep. be in public ministry to think that that's when people start listening to you. Right. Or for that to be success. Or for that to be success. Or for that to be, oh, you've now made it. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is, previous to that radio job, previous to what I do now, I mean, do you remember I taught fifth grade Sunday school at our oh, church? Yeah. Yep. I showed up every morning and taught those kids. I was a teacher before this. You know, I coached basketball and volleyball. You had a discipleship group of high school girls. Yes. So for me to say that I gained a voice when I got that radio job is discounting everything God had ever done in my life before. And I just don't believe that to be true. Mm. So the point of that whole story and chapter is I want women to really believe that they matter right where they are and the voice that God's put in them. Yeah. It's not less than mine because I speak into a microphone every week. Right. It's just different. Right. And it matters. Hmm. It seems like so many of us, like, because we have gone through seasons like this, right? So many of us in current culture that we live in are chasing things like followers and listeners and likes and thinking that that is representation of us having influence, but you kind of talk about like, you don't need any of that stuff. Like as a stay at home mom or as a single college student, you have influence. You have a purpose right there in that moment. 100%. And I want, I want people to really believe that because I don't want it to be like, well, that's easy for you to say, Jamie, you have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. You know, like that feels weird, but I have a lot of friends who have 500,000 followers on Instagram. And I'll yep. tell you what, I remember when I hit 100,000 followers on Instagram, I was watching a movie with my family and you know what didn't, you know what? Nothing changed. You still finished the movie. I still finished the movie and I still went to work the next day. I believe with the followers, whatever it may be, if it's Instagram, if it is you're a teacher, if it is that you lead an organization, if it is that you're in ministry and you stand on a stage and teach your church every day, whatever it is, you do have there does come great responsibility with that influence. Okay, Spider-Man. Thank you. But there's great responsibility with all of our influence. Or was that Yoda? It's a superhero for sure. Yeah. I always forget who it is. It's got to be Spider-Man. Okay, yeah. With great power comes great responsibility. There it is. There it is. But if we just think that you have to deal with that when you get on a stage, then that's that's not an accurate view of how God is using you. Right, right. Yeah. And what we both know, and people eventually we'll figure out with whatever your kind of like 
you know, method of measuring your worth is it's never enough. It's never enough. Hundred thousand followers, and you're like, well, yeah, but she has two hundred. Exactly. Followers. It's so false, and I didn't know this was going to be my favorite message from the book. But what I'm about to say is probably my favorite message from the book, and Come it's on. this: is that we can't define our success by what culture says success is. Mm-hmm. For example, are you successful on Instagram if you have a hundred thousand followers? Who says? Mm-hmm. And why is it that number? Mm-hmm. Like, I think you can be successful with 5,000. And yep. what does it even mean to be successful on Instagram? You know right, what I mean? Right. And so culture puts all of these successful definitions on us. And if you do this, you're a success in a lot of Christian circles. If you are a stay-at-home mom, you're a successful mom. But what about our friends who have who are running companies, who are working? Yeah. What about our friends who – it's not an option to stay home. That's right. Like they yeah. need double income for their family to survive. To, to survive. Yeah. And so what culture says is success is often false and it's often unattainable and it's often you might eventually meet it and then what? Mm-hmm. So I think that the target for success is constantly moving. Mm-hmm. And so the message I'm so excited about is that I think God is asking us for our faithfulness mm-hmm. over our success. Yeah. Yep. So for me to be a faithful follower of Jesus, obviously there are some non-negotiables about faithfully following Jesus that apply to everybody, right? right. But my faithfulness looks different than my friends, Noel, Amanda, Melissa, like they all, that looks different. Yep. Yep. In that way we parent, in our jobs, in lots of things. And so I want women to really strive and say, God, I'm going to be faithful with everything you've given me, mm. with my giftings, with my with the voice you've put inside of me, with my influence, with my power. I'm going to be faithful with it, and I'm not going to chase what someone else says is success. Right. Because it's a constantly moving target. Don't you feel like a lot of this conversation is like reserved for first world and like the West and like we're saying these are the things that define success. But if those definitions don't work in a place where there's abject poverty and there's oppression and if if those things don't translate to every other culture, how can we say they're successful? There's no conversation in the slums of Kenya about a good Christian woman is a stay at home mom. That, that conversation isn't happening. Right. A, because in the slums of Kenya or in the, you know, out in the desert of wherever, there might not be like, I'm going to physically go to work, but you're working yeah. in your family's garden. You're doing things. You're not, there's no like, I'm going to stay home and do crafts and keep, teach my kids a third language. Right. Like you are working because you have to. And there's no corporate ladder. There's no book deals. There's no, right. none of that stuff yes. is there. Yeah. So you can't say this is success. Yeah. I got myself in a little bit of pickle the other day because Uh one thing that I really believe to be true, and you brought this up of, is this conversation around the world, and I don't think that it is, is that I don't believe that a woman's highest calling is marriage or motherhood. Yeah, you got some pushback for that. I got a little bit of pushback. I get a lot of- It's something that you've said for a while, you know, Um, kind of casually, Uh like even as you're- Helping, you know, counsel a, a friend or whatever, yeah. like, hey, motherhood and marriage is not your highest calling. Yeah. But it feels like you've kind of taken that gear a little bit forward. And it's not just something you believe or you think, but you're reading the scripture and you're going, that's not the highest calling of a woman. Why? It can't be because when Jesus was his last commandment to his disciples was not go get married and have kids. His last commandment to his disciples was go and Go therefore into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is commanding his disciples, hey, go tell people about me. Yeah. Go tell people, make disciples. Go 
tell people about myself. In Matthew, when Jesus is teaching, he says, you're the light of the world. Mm -hmm. He says, when people see your good works, they will give glory to the Father who is in heaven. And so that's just two places, but... Yeah, well, when Jesus says, they ask him, hey, what's the greatest commandment? Of all the things that we should aim for, what's the highest calling? What's the highest thing? And he's like, love God. Yep, love God and love others as yep. yourself. And so I just think that when we say to women, your highest calling is marriage and motherhood. I have a lot of friends who aren't married. I have a lot of friends who can't physically have kids. Did God forget them? Mm. Are they missing out on the highest calling? Is mm -hmm. my life more fulfilled does my life have more purpose? Right. Does my life matter more to the Father? And I don't think we can find that in Scripture. And so me saying that is not to like piss off people who believe that marriage- Wait, can you say that on the happy hour? Yes. You're the host. Tell what me, else can, I can say we it? say? I need a list. This could be fun. <laughs> my job is not to say like marriage and motherhood, I'm going to stomp them on the ground because I am both of those things and I'm so grateful for both of them. Mm -hmm. They're both- beautiful to me. The fact that I'm married to you is one of my favorite things in the whole world. The fact that I get to parent these four kids together with you is just so great. But my highest calling as a woman is not based on any of those things because all of those things could be taken away from me. So in a sentence, what is your highest calling? As a follower of Jesus, my highest calling is to make God known and bring him glory. I think that when we do that, we can do that with everything. And our lives are going to take different turns and different seasons. And it's going to look different sometimes. I mean, we're what, six years away from launching all of our kids into the world? Mm -hmm. So my highest calling my whole life is motherhood. What happens in six years? Right, right. My highest calling is marriage. What if you get leukemia and die? So to me, I don't want to belittle any of those things because no. I am both of those things. But yeah. I want women to know that God has gifted you with great gifts and talents and passions. And you get to use those in lots of different ways. Some days it might be inside your home. Other days, it might be outside your home. Yeah. But don't yeah. hold on to marriage and motherhood so tightly that you think that this is what your entire life revolves around. Well, that's called an idol. That's exactly right. Anything that is a higher calling than knowing Jesus and making him known, yep. what we're put on the planet to do, can become even a good thing, yep. like marriage. Mm -hmm. Even a good thing, like being a mom, yep. can become yes. an idol, right? And I see a lot of women idolizing their children. And I think that it is sad because I think you're missing out on so much that God has to offer. I think it's scary because your kids cannot live up to being a God. That's true. They're going to let you down and yep. it's going to be really difficult. So I don't know. I'm just kind of on a little soapbox about it. I don't think it's a soapbox. I think you've found something that you see in our culture right now, especially our Christian yeah. Western culture uh -huh. that's become idolized yeah. and you're saying, no, 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 that's not it. I mean, you, you brought up something a while ago about can this message... Like, I really think that if you have a message, that if you're a teacher or if you're believing anything about scripture that cannot be taught everywhere in the world and in our jails and prisons, it cannot be true. Mm. Like God's word for his people, it has to matter no matter where you are. It translates to every culture, every ethnicity, right? Yes. Every age background, every demographic. Everything. The gospel is not American or Western. Exactly. And so when I was volunteering in the jail a couple of years ago, to stand up and look at those women and say marriage and motherhood is your highest calling. Some of them had lost their kids to foster care. Some of them were not married because their husbands. I mean, it just, that message doesn't hold up in jail. And that's if a, it doesn't hold up in jail, you can't teach it. That's a really good word. Get it, babe. I wish people could see you right now because your, your hands are going in the air. <laughs> your hair's getting all flustered. You're pointing. You're preaching. I think it I just brings it. so much freedom is why. I really do get excited about it because I think God has a lot of freedom in store for some women. Why do you think... 
Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University, your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. You know, in this conversation, I don't really hear like men saying, hey, men, your highest calling is to be a husband and a dad. I don't really hear that very much. So when you were growing up, like I don't remember ever hearing anyone like I don't remember anyone saying you got to be married and you got to have kids. But it felt implied as a man growing up when you were a young lad. I grew up around church, right? I wasn't full on like Christian until college, but I do remember that being implied for sure. Yeah. Because every example in a sermon illustration, every you know question to little boys like, who are you going to marry one day? Yeah. You know, how many kids do you want to have one day? So yeah, I think it was subtly idolized, but then that becomes year after year after year after year, becomes like, well, I guess everybody is supposed to. Well, I've talked about this a lot on The Happy Hour in the last two months, is this is a whole nother conversation that I don't think we should dive in here because it's been talked about, but this, which I'm at idolatry, there's this idolatry of the nuclear family unit that the mm-hmm. church has held onto for so long. And again, I believe in God loving families and God for families and God for marriage. I mean, for the love, we wrote an entire book about marriage that yeah. comes out next year. Yep. So we are so passionate yeah, about marriage. Yeah, we are for marriage. But if that's what God has for you. Exactly. But he doesn't have it for everybody. And I think for most of my life, I have seen the way, and this might not be every church, you might be listening and be like, my church not like that, and that's amazing. But this idea of idolizing this nuclear family, that that's the most important thing. And again, it goes back to, what if that's not God's plan for you in yeah, your 20s? Right. What if you don't get married till you're 45 or never? Like you're still of great use to the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. I do remember when you were talking, I remember growing up and in, in the church that I was a part of, there was an older single woman. She was probably in her 50s. And I remember people talking about how sad they were for her, that she hadn't gotten married yet. And almost like it was like a curse, like, ugh, yeah. really sad for her. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love in our conversations about marriage and our conversations about relationships and friendships. And then also like through this book, you're kind of like saying, hey, what's most important, your highest calling is to be faithful to Jesus. And we've talked about this in the middle of quarantine, where it's like, we're also conditioned to be productive. And God's almost kind of taken away yeah. some of the ability to be super productive. Yeah. 
because he's trying to hone in on this faithfulness part yeah. that you're also so passionate about. And in the faithfulness chapter, what is that, chapter two? I think chapter two is the one about faithfulness. I love how you gave like four really simple ways to pursue faithfulness. And when I was reading them, I was like, girl, this is so good. And you were preaching and I see you living this stuff out, right? The four is one, be in the word, two, listen to his Holy Spirit, three, surround yourself with a solid community, and four, live open-handed. Yeah. I love those four. Talk about live open-handed. What do you mean by that? Well, I think everyone's asking, what's my calling? Like, what am I here for? What am I supposed to do? And listen, we were asking that in our 20s, and sometimes we still find ourselves asking that in our 40s. You know, like, I have found that those things are really helpful to be in the word, listen to the Holy Spirit because he gave it to you. It's in there, guys. You can listen mm. to it and then have solid community. And then that fourth one, live open-handed. I've seen us do this a lot. And what I mean by that is to live your life where you are 100% committed and devoted to what you're doing, but you're also open-handed to whatever God wants for you. Yeah. Yep. And listen, that doesn't mean like you're committed to your husband, but you're open to another man. Like, right. let's just be real here. That don't work. That doesn't work. Or you're committed to your kids, but you're like, oh, I don't like them. But what about <laughs> I'm committed to doing for, I'll use my own self for an example. Or can I use our? You can use our example as an example. I tell the story in the book and it was probably, if anyone's asking, one of the hardest stories that I wrote in the book where mm. there was a season in our life when you were offered a job at another church. I mean, you tell the whole story in here too. I tell the whole story. I was reading, I was like, girl, you, you told it all. <laughs> where you were offered a job at a church in another state and we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed diligently mm -hmm, about that mm -hmm. and really felt God saying go. And so that open-handed living was us going, God, we are 100% committed to Austin, Texas. We are 100% committed to our church body. We are 100% committed. But the open-handed was, we also are committed to listening to you. Right. And we're committed to being uncomfortable. And we're committed to doing hard things because hard things don't equal bad things. They right. equal hard things. And so that was an open-handed season in our life. And I think we still live that way. I mean, we are open-handed with everything. And the reason open-handed living gets difficult is because when the push comes to shove, when something else comes along, you're committed to praying about that. And you're committed to following God no matter what. Yeah. And honestly, that is the one and only most difficult thing that open-handed living has brought us. Mm. So I don't want it to sound like if you live open-handed every week, you're having to pray about a new opportunity. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. yep. that for us was the most major thing, you know, and it was really major. So that open-hand living, it's a lifelong commitment, I think. Yeah. You're not saying be discontent. No, no, no. Be open-handed and just like wait for the breeze to take you somewhere no. else. You're saying be content, but don't find all of your identity in whatever thing you're in the middle of right now. Because open-handed doesn't always mean a quote-unquote step up on the ladder. Totally. There are some Sometimes opportunities that you're going to feel like it's a step backwards. But when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you're in the Word, and you're surrounded by community, those decisions are easier to make. Mm, that's good, babe. You should write a book. Is there, when you were writing this book, was there a chapter or a theme, a concept that was hardest for you to write? It was a little bit difficult to write about comparison and contentment for two reasons. Number one, I think those are really like hot button topics right now. Like people write entire books about them, you know, and the reason they do is because humans have been struggling with those since God created them. Yeah. And we will struggle with those until we go home to see him. And so those were hard. Also, I think it was hard for me because 
I would like to call myself a very content person mm. and I would like to call myself a person who doesn't struggle with comparison. And honestly, I think a lot of days that can be said to be true. But digging in and finding those places where it's not true were difficult. And so that was a little bit hard to write only because I wish it wasn't an issue. Yeah. Yep. So you're writing, say, encouraging people to do it, but it's also hard for you to do it. Listen, this entire book is like, it's this rally cry for us women to believe that God has done things in us for a purpose. Yeah. And am I further along in that belief than I was 20 years ago? 100%. Am I further along in that belief than I was five years ago? 100%. Will I journey this journey until the day I die? Yes. 100%. Hmm. So yes, this is a book for all of us. Those are the best kinds of books. Yeah. Not from somebody who's like, let me tell you how to do it because I do it all perfectly. Yeah, but yeah. somebody's like, this is still what I'm going through. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. I'm proud of you for, for Thanks, doing it babe. that way. Yeah. So one of my favorite chapters is called Bloom Where You Planted. Oh, yeah. Bloom Where You're Planted was the title I had in this book the whole time I was writing That's it. That's right. Yep. And so- it was like that with my first book. I guess that's a thing. I don't know. My very first book. Do you want to know what's funny? When I pitched that book to publishers and when I was writing, it was called Becoming Me. Oh, I know. Isn't that Michelle Obama's book now? Uh, I think her. it's Becoming. No, is it Becoming Me? Or it might just be Becoming. You're yeah. right. But anyhow. No, I remember that. I like that title too. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, because so whenever I two write, books with the same name doesn't work out <laughs> very well. True. Especially if one of them's written by a former first lady. Okay, so you know I have a book called Steal Away Home that I yeah. wrote. Did you know that there's also another book called Steal Away Home that's a romance novel? <gasps> Did you know that If You Only Knew is a romance novel? Stop it. Oh, if you search it on Amazon, it's a shady, steamy photo on the front. I know, I've read it, and it <laughs> is good, let me tell you. So there's a romance novel for yours, too? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's funny. So when I was writing this book, the title was Bloom Where You're Planted. Was that going to be a romance novel? I hope somebody does one day because I think that's brilliant. But Do you, I'm going to ask a very serious question. And I want you to be honest, okay? If there has been a season where you've been dishonest about the answer to this question, I want like now. Let's just get it all in the open. Okay. Do you write romance novels <laughs> under a pen name? I wish I did. Do you know I met someone one time that did that? Oh, I know. This is a great story. Yeah. How did you find out that she was a romance novel writer? Well, she told me. Yeah, but... Oh, but she wouldn't tell you her pen name right, because right, right. she didn't want you yeah, to Yeah, I knew her as a real it. name. Uh-huh. Because you probably look at her different? Like, girl, what's she writing about? No, but I mean, I don't read romance novels. Sure. Like, I know that... I know there's like Christian romance novels, which that's great. That's great? If they're Christian, that means they have like sweet love stories and not like... You know. So what's on the cover? It's not like a ripped guy with no shirt on? It's no, like, I guess it's he's like two lovely suit. people. Well... I mean, isn't... I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I'll, I'll stop. Oh, let's go. This Mm-mm. is the best stuff. No, no. I couldn't read romance novels and keep a holy lifestyle. Hmm. That would put me under. Right. But you do write them is what you're saying? <laughs> no. Because you didn't actually answer the question. I've never written a romance novel. Okay. Have you ever done a photo shoot for the cover of a romance novel? Because <laughs> no, I have. You're dumb. <laughs> in college, I needed to make some extra cash 25 to pay for bucks rent. or something? It was more like 250 Okay. But... You know, with Photoshop, they can do a lot. Were you on a horse? I was on a white horse. Real long hair. Very long blonde hair. Yeah. Uh-huh. Lovely. Yeah, it was great. But I'm not going to say the name of the book, though. Because you don't want us to go look at it. I don't want people to stumble. Okay. You know what I'm saying? All right. On Instagram, we asked... Wait, wait. You didn't tell me. Why is Bloom Where You Planted your favorite chapter? Oh, I'm sorry. We just got derailed. (laughs) We got derailed with (laughs) romance novels. Well, it's because that's something that you and I have talked about for so long. I mean... You know, people read a book and they're like, oh, that probably didn't take long to read. But you and I have talked about this whole 
bloom where you're planted thing for so long. You remember when we were on vacation in Sedona? Isn't that where we first That's started where talking? where this whole thing started. It started on that vacation, didn't it? There's a story in here about... You might want to tell the whole story, I right? won't tell the whole story, but there's a story in here about a cactus, which is funny. Well, it's not a funny story. It sounds story. like the start of a joke. <laughs> All right, so... Um, so there's this cacti. A cactus and a rubber chicken <laughs> and a nun walk into a bar. So it was on that trip that this entire book came alive in my head, which is fun to think about because you were there. But there's about a story about a cactus and how I noticed um, there were different cacti in different parts of the area that we were in in Arizona. But that whole idea of God, if we believe, and I do, if we believe that God is all-knowing and that he is sovereign and that he has a purpose for all of us and that there's a reason that I'm here and there's a reason that you're the listener wherever you are. And again, I believe this message translates to everywhere, right? then we have to believe that God is for us in that season and he wants us to do something with our lives mm, there. So that's mm. Bloom Where You're Planted, where it all started. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. A couple questions from Instagram. Bring them. There's some really good ones. So you can give short answers. You don't have to like go in depth. Maybe the more questions we get, the better, right? What is something you wrote that you really liked, but it ended up getting cut in the editing process? You know, you can't have everything that you write in a book. Was there anything that you loved that you ended up having to cut or did it all make it in there? I think it all made it in. I know there was something in my first book and I actually don't want to say what it is, which makes the story even like, wow, Jamie, thanks for that. Well, it was the steamy romance The steamy romance section. Mm -hmm. That whole chapter got cut out. There was something in my very first book. I don't know if you remember this. I do remember. It was already into edits. It was really far in the process. And I literally would wake up every day thinking, I don't know if I should leave that in there. I don't Mm -hmm. know if I should leave that in there. And I just kept thinking, no one has told me I can't put it in. No one has even said anything about it, which is so funny. Right. It's even funnier that I'm not going to tell you guys what it was. So you're. Oh, they're going to think the worst. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't bad at all. But I remember you told me you're like, if you keep worrying about this, maybe you should just pull it. And I right. literally, it was like four sentences. Yeah. And I pulled it because it just would have taken away from the book. Too much attention would have been drawn to those four sentences and missed the point potentially. Yes, it would have been maybe a polarizing idea that people would have only held on to that mm, and instead missed. of and missed the whole point of that chapter yeah. in that book, so it wasn't worth it. So was there anything in here? Like I don't that? think so. I don't think there was anything in UBU. Remember the title that we were going to um call it? I keep saying we. Like it's, we it's wrote us. this book. I say we released an album and I didn't have anything to do with that album. That's true. You didn't. But we are one flesh. And we are I couldn't one do flesh. And I know. You. Thank you. I know that we'll probably talk about this a lot when we talk about our book. We have a book called Compliment that we haven't even really talked about ever. Yeah. That comes out in the spring. But you remember when I was with my friend Christy Malzon? Mm-hmm. Her husband, Gus, is a coach of Auburn Tigers, a small school. You might have heard of it. And I was talking to her one day, and she kept saying, when she was talking about recruiting or she was talking about games or she was talking about whatever Gus does in his job as a right. head football coach at an SEC school, she kept saying we. Yeah, and I, was I know, like, I love that. And I said, Christy, you keep saying we, why do you do that? And she goes, oh, because we are in this together. Like right. it may be his job, but he can't be the best coach he is without me. And no. I was like, that'll preach, girl. So I'm not you who can I say am we. without you. That's why I'm writing a, another book called We Be We. <laughs> we Be We. <laughs> yeah, and it's all about us. What was the title of this book? I've talked it about gonna, it before on another podcast. This one? It was yeah. going to be UBU Boo. No. And it was a romance novel about <laughs> me Boo. and you. Success starts here. Uh-huh. Was that it? Yep, that was it. That was an idea. Not an idea. It was like- Oh, that was going to be it. done. And we were on vacation in 
Mexico with our kids. It over sounds Thanksgiving. like we're always on vacation. I Every know. story is like we're on vacation. We were in vac- on in Mexico with our kids, and we were talking about my book, which we don't actually talk about work a lot with the kids. But I was in the middle of picking a title, and I told them the title, and they were all like, "That's dumb." They were all like, "Boring." Yeah, exactly, one hundred percent. And then I even said because in my head for a long time I had been calling it jokingly "You be you boo," like yep. say that all the time about the book. Yep. And I said that, and I think it was one of the kids was it like, was one of the kids. Why don't you just call it "You be you"? That's exactly how it happened. And I was like, why don't I just call it UBU? Because I had been joking UBU boo, mm-hmm. which I'm not putting that on the title, you know. Right. Well, it's actually on the cover. <laughs> boo is just very small and you can't see UBU it. UBU boo. Uh-huh. I should have like special copies that I write boo on the bottom and you can, they're like, you might randomly get it if you order it. That would be amazing. Okay. Okay. Second book. Are you more nervous about the second book or are you more confident about the second book? Now that you've got one already under your belt. You know, there's this thing called sophomore slump. Uh-huh. Uh, they use it in the music what, industry a lot. Music, yeah. yeah. Every sophomore album yeah. is known as like slump album. Yeah, yeah. So I think that even goes into book world. I mean, unless you're, you know, I don't know, who wouldn't be sophomore slump? Maybe Max Lucado, who has like 80,000 books. But anyhow. Or high school sophomore. High school sophomore. Yeah, they're not slumps. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought right, that was that, like a band yeah, name. It, oh, that sick band. High school sophomore. Yeah. So confident, yes. Confident because it's not my first rodeo. So anytime you do anything again, you're like, oh, I know what to expect here. I know what's going to happen. Have you been in a rodeo before? I used so to it's barrel not your race. First rodeo. I used to barrel race. So that euphemism me, is, actually works, it works for, for me. You. Yeah, it's not my first rodeo. Like if I said, it's not my first rodeo. <laughs> That's actually totally untrue. You've never been in a rodeo. I've never gone to a rodeo, been in a rodeo. You've gone to a rodeo. Give I me a break. I did see Reba McIntyre at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Okay. Did and you Diamond go there Rio. early for the rodeo and or just Wynonna get there Judd. for Did you go there early or just get there for the concert? And let me tell you, I had the biggest crush on Winona Judd. You might still, let's be honest. Uh, maybe. Did you go to the rodeo or just get there for the concert? The whole thing. Okay. I saw a lot of people at the Houston Rodeo too. So Clint Black, George Strait, Randy Travis, Brooks and Dang, Dunn. what if we were there at the same time? Oh, we probably were. Um, I had on like really high cowboy jeans, uh-huh. which high rise, thank you, it's back. And I had my boots on. Man. You might have seen me. I might, we might have been getting in line for like a hot dog and a Coke at the same time. No, if, if you were there, you were getting nachos. <laughs> with probably. that junky, crappy cheese. I would that's eat that today, a, by the way. If I had nachos for you to celebrate your book release, you'd eat them right now. 100%. It's what I get every time I go to a Texas game. Nachos. But if I made them, would you want bougie nachos or would you want like the can of cheese that you pour I over? I want bougie nachos at home because that's actually what I want. But if you're at a sporting event... Man, just like crappy nachos and a beer, and there's nothing better. Man, that sounds terrible to me. Okay, what were we saying? Oh, is I this, don't know what nervous? happened just now. We're, rodeo, <laughs> not my first rodeo. Rodeo, this is not your first rodeo. So this is not my first rodeo. It's You're my barrel second. race, though. Yes. You left that part out. Oh, yeah, I was a barrel racer. Done, okay. When I was younger, way young. Anyhow, so that takes away some nerves, is I know what it means to release a book. But I also know what it means to release a book. You know, like mm-hmm. there's expectations put on me by people in charge of me and by myself, you know? So, but honestly, I'm not just saying this because it's the right Christian woman answer. I'm going to take my own words of this book. Okay. And there are some things on the table that would say this book is a success. Culture. How many books do you sell? Right. How many people are talking about it? Mm -hmm. Numbers. And it's not like those things don't matter, but I really truly want to hold true that 
I think that my faithfulness in writing these words and my faithfulness in doing this project, I'm happy about that. And I'm confident in that. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that sounds like, oh, of course you are. I really actually believe that. Yeah. Amazing. Here's another interesting question. This is more like practical, like writing kind of question. You and I write very differently. Mm -hmm. This question is, where is your favorite place to be that inspires you to be create? And how much do you write in one sitting? Oh, wow. Well, I'll say this. My very first book, I actually, this sounds so bougie. I wrote a lot of it in Mexico. We went on- <laughs> That does sound very bougie. But we went on a trip and it was a specific to work was a writing and play. Trip? And we were going anyway. So it's not like we take writing trips to Mexico often. We were already going. Mexico is one of our favorite places, if you can't tell. And I wrote a lot there. And then I also wrote in a hotel and I wrote some in this house that we live in now. This book right here, I wrote it over a year. I wrote 60% of it in one month. That's. Do you remember that? Uh, that was a stressful month for you. It was last October. So, but it was the first month when you wrote most of it. What do you mean? In the writing process, <laughs> was it sixty percent in the first month, or was it the last month right before the deadline? It was the last month right before the right. deadline. Okay. <laughs> so, was that a, a creative idea, or was that procrastination? It was procrastination. Also, I have a lot more that I do now in my life that I didn't have when I wrote my first book. True. And so, it's not like. For me personally, I don't just sit around and write all day. Most of the time you're cooking. Yeah, cooking and cleaning. (laughs) Uh Most of the time I see you with an apron on. I'm very domestic. Yes. The thing is, when you're writing a book, I don't know if you do this, I work off a really detailed outline. Mm. And so when you actually sit down to write, you you know where you're going. Yeah. So no, I procrastinated a lot. So do you not need inspiration? Are you more of like a, I know what I need to write, and so I don't need to be inspired by a sunset or the perfect chair? I'm going to just sit and write? Or are you more like, I can't write unless I'm inspired? I don't need that. You do. The inspiration part? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be the right temperature. It's weird. The right kind of chair, the right time of day. Yeah, humidity, (laughs) everything. Here's the deal. If I did need that, I don't know how that happens in real life for me. Mm. And I'm not saying that it doesn't happen for you. To me, that's difficult to conjure up. And so it's not always the easiest thing for me to go away for a week. Right. And so I did go away some and write in hotels. And that's actually really good for me to just lock myself away for two days in a hotel yeah. and write. And yeah. I do that with both these books. I've done that mm. a handful of times. Yeah. But to me, it turns into I got to write these words and I don't have time to get a good sunset or make the perfect pot of tea or get a blanket. I just need to sit down and write it. Pot of tea? I don't actually. I've never had I've tea in my entire life. I've never one time in my life. <laughs> a, seen you make a pot of tea. <laughs> B, drink tea. I just thought it sounded good. Kind of like uh, it's not my first rodeo? It's not my first rodeo. So, okay. I feel like in this book, you took a real bold kind of um, direction. Yeah. Here's what you need to think about. Here's what yeah. you need to do. I also see your boldness like in your podcast, in social media, feels like there's been just a, I don't know, a little bit of a shift to speak out about some things like uh-huh. injustice going on in our country and things with race and with politics. Do you get much pushback? I do get pushback. What are the things you get pushback from? I mean, I ask the question like, I don't know. I'm trying to be in interviewer <laughs> mode, but I'm actually like laying in bed with you while you're reading some DMs <laughs> on Instagram about people pushing back. So you get pushback? I do get pushback. And here's something that's going to be really funny to the listeners. If you're an every week listener to the show, I had a conversation with this about Sophie Hudson on the show that just released. And I was so hot about it that we cut the entire conversation. Did you know that? After you recorded it. After we recorded it, like three days, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I told Lindsay, I was like, I can't put that out because it wasn't thoughtful. It was, I'm angry. Mm. And I don't 
like to have conversations like that. That's not my personality. I mean, it's not how I want to be presented as. So, right, right. Uh, yes, I get pushed back. Like, what are the things you get pushed back for? I get pushed back for why do you support Black Lives Matter? Mm-hmm. In fact, I got one today that was like, are you still supporting the organization of Black Lives Matter? Which is so funny to me because I've never donated a dime to that organization. Right. I don't have a sign for that organization. You don't know where their office building is? I don't is. know. I've never looked at the webpage, Black right. Lives Matter. Like I've right. literally never been on the webpage. And so for me, I support Black Lives Mattering, mm-hmm. and I won't ever stop talking about that for two reasons. A, because I have three children that are black. We do. And then B, because it's important and it matters. Yeah. And everyone matters. Right. And right now that house is burning. And it started out as a hashtag before it was an organization. Right. And so, you know, there's just this this idea that people can get so caught up on, you said Black Lives Matter. And I do think Black Lives Matter, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I told you this the other day, we were having a conversation and I was like, man, I'm even being, I have been convicted in the past month of my frustration with people who don't think like me. Mm. And again, you won't see that publicly because I'm not a public frustrated person, right? you know, like, but I've been having conversations with you Mm -hmm. and God's been really convicting me about my frustration with people who don't think like I do. Mm. And here's the truth. I don't want that to be true of me. Right. I want to hold true to my convictions and love and care for everyone around me. Yeah, yeah. And so just very vulnerable, that's something I'm working on. And again, I'm not a public frustrated person. So you're not gonna see me on social media. So it's inward, which even is uglier sometimes. And God's really working on that in me. I don't also wanna look at someone's post and think, I cannot believe that they say that, support that, do that. Right, right. Which... This is a whole nother conversation that we're not going to have, but this is how social media works. I think we should talk about it. Like immediate reaction of, I don't like what that person said, so I'm going to blow them up on a DM or on a comment. Yeah. And I don't hang out on Twitter and I see that happening a lot over there, but that happens. Like I'll get DMs that are like, I'm so frustrated. No, they don't say that. They say I'm so disappointed in you. I mean, a couple a week. Yeah. And so to me, that just feels like you don't know me and I don't know why I've disappointed you. Like... A, why am if you're if we're not personal friends, why have you set me up in a way that I can disappoint you? Mm-hmm. You know, and so well, especially disappoint you with something that I say. Yeah, like disappoint. If, I mean, you you could disappoint somebody by like going and robbing a bunch of banks yeah. and, and you know yeah. causing a ruckus in the mm-hmm. world. Right, a, an action. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. She yeah. did that. Yeah, but with something you're just posting or saying, yeah, it feels like a stretch. It's a stretch, and it's weird. And again. You can agree or disagree. I don't think they bother me that much, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I read them and sometimes screenshot them and text them to you. <laughs> but I don't lose any sleep. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Because I honestly also think those people would not sit in this room in my office and sit in a chair. And I don't think they would say the things to me in person that they say to me in a DM. That's exactly right. And yep. so to We've me, talked about that. Yeah. I just am like, man, I don't really think that you would actually say that to me. So it's just this weird, it's just, and Instagram is a weird place to where I love it that people that follow me would think, man, I know her, you know? Right. So that, it's a weird thing too. It's all really weird. And it's hard right now with election season. I mean, 2020, I mean, today's the end of September. We have, you know, what, 45 days until the election or something? Yeah. yeah. 40 days. Yeah. And it's probably going to get worse. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And so. I think your advice is really good. And this would be good for all of us to live by. If you wouldn't say that to that person in person, to their face, then why DM it? Why comment on it? It's so true. Because that's the thing about social media is it makes it easier 
to forget that it's actually a human being. It's a human. It's being. actually a mom. It's a dad. It's a college student. Yeah. It's just a twenty-year-old. You know, yeah. what I mean? it, like I see people commenting on like Justin Bieber's Instagram, and they'll say some of the like cruelest, meanest yeah. stuff about this dude that they idolize but don't know. Exactly. And I feel like if we could all just go, hey, if I'm not going to say this to this person's face, mm-hmm. I'm definitely not going to put it. Yeah. On their stinking Instagram yeah. account, yeah. right? And it's hard because there's sometimes that we have to disagree with things, you know, like there are some hills I'll die on, you know, with disagreeing about it. But I'm usually not having those conversations on social media. You know, I mean, we've recently seen a friend of ours get dragged through the mud on social media. Yeah. And it's hard to watch. It's real hard to watch. And people are ruthless. And so, I mean, listen, we tell our kids this, whatever you put on a phone, a text, an email, a screenshot, uh, Instagram, if you don't want you and I and your grandparents to read it, don't yep. be doing it. Don't put it on there. Yeah. Yep. Do you, we talked about election, right? Yeah. Do you consider yourself a political person? That's another thing that people, I recently got a comment that was like, I used to listen to your show because you talked about Jesus, but now you talk about politics too much. Which, I think that's why I'm asking. That kind of made you're me laugh. That, you're getting that feedback more often. So yeah. do you think you are a political person? I do not think I'm a political person at all. See, I don't either. I know you. And like, we don't yeah. talk politics all the time. We like, don't. Politics is mm-hmm. not a thing. I don't listen to talk radio. We don't have cable. So we're not watching Fox or CNN. I listen to podcasts. You know, I'm also an Enneagram six. And so the news is really a struggle for me. So it's not that I want to walk around uninformed. I just know how to put guardrails in my life. Um, So I'm not a political person. But I mean, if you listen to the show and you listen to Eugene Cho when he came on, it's not about do we need to be political? We just need to care about things in our community and care about things in our country. And so am I ever going to run for office? No. Am I going to be at someone's you know, fundraising dinner? Probably not. Am I going to work at someone's, you know, what's it called? Their convention, whatever. But I don't want to talk about politics. I want to talk about things that Jesus cares about. And I think there's some confusion right now about, are you political or are you talking about things that Jesus cares about? And I think that's where we kind of have to like squeak our eyes, like clean them a little bit, clean our ears and be like, okay, We can talk about immigration because Jesus cares about immigration. We can talk about Black Lives Matter because Jesus cares about all people. We can talk about police reform because Jesus cares about citizens being taken care of in the best way possible. We can talk about suicide because God cares for us and our emotions. Like We can talk about things that are difficult without making it about politics. So when you're talking about those things or posting something, you're not like saying, well, you should vote this way. No, or you should I'll, vote never, for this person. I'll never tell anyone publicly who I voted for or who they should vote for. Right. But I think I will talk about things that I believe are in the Bible and matter because it's scriptural. You know, I mean, it's an election season and we see a lot of people disagreeing about politics right now. And I heard someone say the other day that we should, every time we vote, we should go in there holding our nose because there's no person who is going to to save us, mm-hmm. yeah. to change the world, right. who is going to be the perfect candidate. And so I'm going to go into the voting booth on whatever that day is. Yeah. I'm going to hold my nose and I'm going to vote for the person who I think is in line mostly with what I believe in. And yeah. that is not based on one particular thing only. That's good, babe. That's real good. 
I mean, even this conversation makes me nervous that people are going to be like, oh, you're political now. Well, I mean, if that is you and you're listening, I'll tell you what you could do is you could go leave a really mean comment or send a DM (laughs) and then Jamie will screenshot it and send it to me. No, I do think we're both very optimistic people yeah, and we think the best of people. Uh And so usually when that happens, it really is like, you probably didn't realize your tone. You probably didn't realize it's a human being, you know? So I know know you show grace. I don't lose any sleep. No. And And I love that about you. All right. Life doesn't have a pause button. That's why Capella University's FlexPath learning format lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them if something comes up. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference for you at capella.edu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt at 3 a.m., at all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Last thought, I have so much respect for you and just admire you as a, as a writer and as a leader and a podcaster, a mom, a friend. You're killing it. And you're not perfect either. That's the thing is like, you're not just killing all this stuff because you figured out how to be great. I think this paragraph is one of my favorites in the book. And I can't wait for somebody to read this and for it to actually like affect them. And I just want to affirm you because as you're writing this, I see you doing this. So it says this, I want you to show up for your life. I want you to believe and trust that he, God, has good things for you and that he wants to use you to do big things right where you are. I want you convinced that you'll make the greatest impact on your world when you allow him to work through you right where he's planted you. I want you to be you, living your calling, which simply means being faithful, not being super smart, not being a spiritual giant, not always knowing the answer to every question or feeling completely in control of every situation, just faithful to him where you are with what you know, with what you have. I'm so glad that you got to that point of striving for that every day in your life. I'm really proud of you for that. What do you hope a woman reading this, and not just women, this book is for men too. What do you hope that this does in their life? Thank you for your kind words. Here's the thing is, I talk about this in the book, but two years ago, my friend Winter died. And she died at 36. And everyone, 38, anyhow, she died young. And everyone would think, golly, Why would God do that? That's so sad. And again, I thought these exact same things. But what I know about Winter is that she was faithful to what God asked her to Mm -hmm, do. And mm -hmm. she lived her life in a way. And again, she wasn't perfect. You can ask Jonathan, her kids, anyone. There's no way she was perfect. There's no way she was constantly content and not comparing. But as her friend, I saw her live her life faithfully all the way to the end. And there's no way she knew she only had that many years. And so for me, I don't want to get to the end. If it's this year that God takes me home, or if I get 40 more years, I don't want to get to the end and there be this moment of, I was constantly chasing somebody else's life. Yeah, Like I was constantly wishing I could be more like her. Mm. Listen, I don't want to get to 50. You and I had a conversation just today about how, I mean, both of us were 42 and we are loving our 40s and we look ahead and think every decade is going to be amazing. Yeah, I don't want to get to 50 and think all my 40s 
all I did was idolize other women in my same career and wish mm. I could be like them. Yeah. Because I will miss out on so much. And so for me, I want people to read this book and really, really trust and believe that God has good things for them right where they are. Yeah. And listen, we've had hardships in our family. Yep. A lot. Life is not easy. Life is hard. And so if you're listening and you're like, well, must be nice for you to say that. And you might be thinking, you don't know my circumstance. I read the Bible and I don't think God just has big things for people whose life seems to be going quote unquote well right now, because it's full of stories and examples of God using people when they were at the bottom of their life. Mm -hmm. God using people when it felt like everything was out of control. God using people when it seemed as though there was no way out. Those are not just fun Bible stories. No. This is real life. And so I want, man, that a paragraph sums it up. I want people to show up for their life that they're living right now. Mm -hmm. Today. Today, right where you are. And tomorrow and the day after. Yep. This is a fantastic book. I'm really proud of you. I just, I love you and think so highly of you. And I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'm the one of anybody else that uh, wants to cheer you on and keep pushing you forward to just keep chasing Jesus and being faithful to him. I see you doing that. I love you. Thank you. And I'm really proud to say congratulations on a book releasing tomorrow. Thank you so much. Should we tell them? We should tell them. About our book that comes out next year? Yeah, we should tell them. I didn't know what you were going to say, but I was like, yeah, tell them. The romance novel? Uh Uh-huh. So Jamie and I, um, (laughs) usually there's an ad here, but actually we're just going to do the ad. Uh So do you find yourself lonely, (laughs) dreaming of what love could be and what life could be? You know what? This is not even funny because... (laughs) Join Aaron and Jamie Ivey, popular podcast and authors. Worship leader. Worship pastor. pastor, Elder. (laughs) As they embark on a journey to discover what love truly is. That is so awful. We do have a book coming out next spring called Compliment, and it's about marriage. It's not a romance novel by any means, but there's a fun little announcement for you That'll guys That'll be as our well. first book that we've written together. Yep. And it's, a, it's it was a fun project. I think it's going to be really helpful for people who are either thinking about marriage or engaged or in the middle of yep. marriage right now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I'm excited about that. Jamie, I love you. Love you too, babe. I got to let you go. I've got so many more podcast interviews <laughs> I've got to do. Now I'm working on season 10 of The Happy Hour okay. with Aaron Ivy. Oh, so, fun, fun, fun. Yeah, I got to get going. Okay. All right, love, love you. Love you. You guys, thanks for listening to this show today. I love it when Aaron and I get to sit down together. And if you don't know, we have a podcast that we host together. This would be a great place for me to tell you this called On the Other Side. You can find out more about that by texting O-T-O-S. It stands for On the Other Side to 55444. Can you tell we like this texting thing? I think it is so easy for you to find out information. Text O-T-O-S to 55444. Friends, we also told you about a special project that Aaron and I have been working on. In fact, we've been working on this for a long time. The idea for this project came to us actually in the summer of 2018. How fun is that? And so finally, we have a book that we wrote together that comes out next spring. You probably will not hear me talk about it a lot until then, but we gave you the inside scoop today, so there it is. Once again, I hope I see you tonight at our live virtual event. There's still time to get there, you guys. Pre-order our book. Claim your goodies. Join us. If you're listening to this after September 30th or October 1st, you can pick up UBU, Why Satisfaction and Success Are Closer Than You Think, wherever you get books. Ever struggled with comparison? Discontentment? Wondered if you mattered? I answer all those questions in this book. 
Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by one of the Aaron Ivy's great friends, Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Friends, enjoy your week. Celebrate with me tomorrow. I would love it if you get a copy of the book tomorrow. Girl, you better put a social media photo up with you at that book because I want to see it. Tag me at Jamie Ivy. I'd love to see it. Share the show with a friend today. Have a happy hour with a friend. Guys, join us back here on Friday for happy hour is a bucket list guest of mine. You want me to tell you who it is? Kim Walker-Smith joins me on the happy hour on Friday. Guys, have a great last day of September. See you back here on Friday. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.